The work of this church in the world is realized through the generous financial support of all who call this place home. Along with the gifts and time and talent, ours is a shared ministry. You have a role to play here. Church membership is open to all. For more information, go to uusf.org. I've only ever broken one bone in my life, and it was actually pretty recent. I would show you what bone I broke, but unfortunately this is a church and it was my middle finger. <laughs> it was actually on an aircraft carrier, the USS Hornet in Alameda. It's been decommissioned, so now it's a museum where you can learn about how aircraft carriers work and about military history. There are levers and switches, and all of it is non-functional since it's been decommissioned. And all of it is uh, unsupervised, so there is a certain mischievous joy as well of just messing around with things. But that's not how I broke my finger. You see, the USS Hornet was originally launched in 1943, before modern safety standards. So when I was going down some pretty steep stairs, I tripped and fell, grabbed onto the chain railing for dear life, and hurt my finger. I'll spare you the gory details, but suffice it to say that it was quite painful. I, being cool to a fault, didn't want my friends to freak out, so I just acted like I was okay. I held my hand behind myself so they didn't even see anything. And this aircraft carrier was kind of like a maze, so I had to wander around for probably a half hour before I could get first aid and get cleaned up. Over the next month, uh, I saw my doctor and then a specialist. I still have a little bump on my finger. But in the end, the most painful part was the healthcare system between scheduling and uh, going back and forth with my insurance. But all things considered, I, I do feel very lucky you might be wondering, hey, this is supposed to be a service about joy. Sam's day with his friends was ruined. He was injured. He even had to deal with health insurance. What gives? But in my mind, this experience was undeniably joyful. Not an experience of painful bureaucracy. Not an experience of literal pain but joy. I got a fun story to tell at parties or when doing two truths and a lie, or apparently a fun story to tell in worship services. <laughs> joy isn't just one thing. Joy isn't predictable. Joy isn't the same for different people. It doesn't always fit in a neat box. In the book, The Happiness Project by Gretchen Rubin, the author goes on a year-long quest to make herself happier. She researches all the things that affect happiness, and she found that a lot of happiness actually isn't in our control. About 50% is genetics, another 10 or 20% life circumstances. 
And all of that is why social justice is so important, why we have to fight for a better world to make it so that things outside of our control don't make us suffer, don't disproportionately affect some of us more than others. But the other 30 or 40%, that is in our control. That's not everything, but it is a lot. And I want to explore some of the different things in that 40%. Some of the different things that bring us joy. There's a tool called Maslow's Hierarchy of Needs that talks about what people need. It's arranged in a pyramid. At the base is your body's needs, like food and safety. Then as you go up, you have things like love, belonging, connection, and at the very top is self-actualization. It's in a pyramid because the stuff at the bottom is necessary before you get to the top. It's hard to work on self-actualization when you're hungry. And I think that joy is similar. There's a lot of simple joys from just treating your body right. There are joys rooted in your heart, in connection and belonging, and then joys that have more to do with our mind, with our self-actualization. But let's start with our bodies. And since joy is something to be lived and experienced, let's do a brief activity. Not only does spending time in nature bring you joy, but even thinking about nature can make you happier, less anxious, more present in your body. So please take a minute and think about nature. It could be a time you are in the woods or by the water. It could just be from your trip here this morning or something that you saw out your window. After a minute, I'll invite you to share it with someone next to you. But for now, please just take a minute to think about some time in nature. Okay, now take some time to share with somebody next to you. It's gonna be quick, so I'll let you know when to switch. If you're online, you can take the opportunity to write down your experience.
I know that was way too short, but switch. Last thoughts? Okay, everybody, I know that was way too short, but let's get back together. Well, it's almost as if we could use some more opportunities to connect. It's as if uh, it's a good idea. We have a extravaganza coming up this Friday. <laughs> and don't worry, there'll be a couple more opportunities uh, in this sermon as well. Now, even though I just had you all think about nature, personally, I had a little bit too much nature growing up, so even though I do reluctantly enjoy going on a hike or when I buy some water or uh, even just in a good patch of sun, that's not how I think of simple bodily joys. For me, ice cream. <laughs> think back to when you were a kid in an ice cream store, trying out all of the flavors before settling on one. Not just the free samples, but also the diversity of flavors. Sure, with pie, you might like an apple pie or a strawberry rhubarb, but I bet you can't even name as many pies as there are in a Baskin-Robbins, much less the whole wide world of ice cream. Plus the toppings, gummy bears, marshmallows, whipped cream. Couldn't we all use some rainbow sprinkled in our lives? And even if ice cream is fleeting and sometimes we need a big salad or a rice bowl, isn't there room for both? Some joys are as simple as ice cream, but many are more complex. As Santana's story showed, our relationships with family can be a source of great joy, even when there's a funeral mixed with loss, judgment mixed with acceptance, memories both good and bad, Humans are social animals, and people with more meaningful relationships do tend to be happier. That's one of the things that's so powerful about church, not just the services, but the community, the connections with each other. A lot of us make up reasons why we don't have more connections in our life. I know I do. But one of the common justifications is that it's too hard. We have friends that we've been out of touch with, but we're all busy and 
What if we don't actually have all that much to talk about? I read an article in the New York Times at the start of this year, and they propose an eight-minute phone call. Think of somebody that you'd like to catch up with. Think of how you'll do it. We're more likely to follow through on a plan if it's concrete. And then give them an eight-minute call. You can even tell them it's an eight-minute call at the start if you'd like. Tell them it was something you read or heard about in church. And everybody has eight minutes, so, you know, should be easy to schedule. Even if you don't have a lot to catch up on, you at least have eight minutes of stuff to catch up on. And because it's an eight-minute call, if you're bored and you don't really like them that much, by the end, you have an easy out. And if you want to connect more, of course, you can always schedule some more time. Now, I'm not going to ask you to pull out your phones in the middle of the sanctuary, in the middle of this worship service, but do take a minute just to think about somebody that you'd like to catch up with and the logistics and hows and whens to make it more concrete. And then after a minute, I'll have you briefly share that plan with a neighbor as well. Now, take some time to think. Okay, now take just 10 seconds to, to share that with a neighbor. Super quick. Okay, now switch. Time flies when you only have 10 seconds, right? <laughs> Don't worry, eight minutes will feel pretty short too. <laughs> Let's come back together. Another heart-based source of joy, aside from just connections with friends and family, is volunteering. Being of service to others, Having a purpose bigger than yourself is a big source of joy. Yet another reason why church communities are so special, we always have ample opportunities to volunteer. And if you're not sure exactly what the best fit is for you, your nominating committee is excited to chat with you to find something. <laughs> you don't need any special skills to volunteer. I work in tech, but I love public speaking, I love working with kids and spending time with them. It doesn't matter that I could be helping out with a website. I can also find joy and meaning by helping kids explore their values in Sunday school, or by doing big brothers, big sisters, and just throwing around a ball with a seven-year-old. 
When I first started doing Big Brothers Big Sisters, I would often meet up with my little brother at a park, and we'd just play around. He would go on the swings and be overjoyed, just ask me to push him higher and higher and higher, or go on some bizarre spinning contraption with a dozen other kids hang on for dear life as it spun around. He didn't care that I wasn't athletic. The important thing was just spending time together. By the time I got him back to his mom, I had a great time. And also, I would be so exhausted, I would need a nap by the time I got home. But, you know, in a good way? <laughs> For the parents and the grandparents in the room, I have no idea how you do that 24-7. We talked about simple bodily joys. We talked about heart-centered joys. Now it's time for a little bit uh, more of the mental part. Now, this activity is going to be a little weird, but bear with me. I want you to think of something that was frustrating or annoying, and then reframe it. Tell a different story about that experience. You might reframe it by trying to put yourself in the other person's shoes. Maybe you got cut off in traffic and you can imagine they were going to a hospital or late for a birthday party. Or you could reframe it by finding a silver lining, like if your flight was delayed, but while you were waiting, you had a good conversation. Or you found some art in the airport that you really enjoyed. So take a minute to think of something frustrating and reframe it. This time, I won't make you share with anybody, and it's okay if you can't fully embrace this reframing, but just bear with me. I asked you all to reframe an experience because all too often we try to be objective about emotions. We try to take the human out of the experience and imagine that everything is one size fits all. Perhaps a side effect of scientific rationalism or a consumerist culture where joy is something to be bought and sold. That French toast is to die for, or a spa day is what you need, or some new tech gadget, or gym membership, or three-step process. There's something comforting about that too, right? 
If joy is objective, then even if we aren't happy, there's a reason for that. There's a thing to pursue, a problem to solve. Maybe we can't fix it right now because we can't take time off work or we can't afford that vacation, but if we could just do that thing, then we would find joy. So we just need to figure out how to get enough money, save enough time, make those plans, then I'll be happy later when the circumstances are better. But if joy is something objective to be studied and bought, where does the broken finger that I was telling you about at the start fit into it? Why was that a joyful experience? Can you even imagine a, a university review board doing an ethical evaluation of a study on if breaking fingers makes people happier? Or your next San Francisco tech startup, an app that helps you break your finger in the most minor way possible? I, I better not talk too loud, loud. Some entrepreneur might take me seriously. That thought process of joy as something objective, a product or an experience to be pursued is missing something. I don't mean that objective circumstances don't matter. There is objective suffering, war, poverty, racism, sexism, chronic pain, natural disaster, the list goes on. And as I mentioned at the start, around 60% of our happiness does have to do with circumstances like that. But leaving it at just that, just the objective circumstances, is missing something. Rabbi Hyman Judah Shachtel, in his book, The Real Enjoyment of Living, writes that happiness is not having what you want, but wanting what you have. Happiness is not having what you want, not pursuing or buying, and then getting something objective, but wanting what you have. I think that's where we can find the joy that is in our control. How we make meaning of our lives, our mindset on the step that we just took and what step we decide to take next. When I broke my finger, I could have decided that I wanted that to never have happened. And then I would have been unhappy because it did happen. I could have decided that I just wanted to be done with the whole situation. And then I would have been unhappy for a month until I was done with the doctors and the insurance. But instead, I decided that what I really wanted was a new story to share with the world. And as luck would have it, I got a great one. March 11th, 2023. It's a normal Saturday morning at the airport, busy but not too busy. 
Marking my usual 3.30 a.m. to noon shift at the airline, nearing the end of my shift, when at 9.03, I get a text from my mom. Tu abuelo se fue, she said. Your abuelo is gone. My mom had flown out to El Salvador a few days prior because my abuelo's health had been declining for some time. And while my relationship with him wasn't the strongest, especially after I started transitioning, the news of this loss still hurt me deeply. The rest of the day was a blur. I reluctantly left work early, frantically packed a bag, and got on the next flight out. I stepped off the plane at El Salvador and was immediately greeted by the familiar blast of humid heat, carrying with it the scent of the memories of all the times I visited in the past. I luckily got to my family's house just before the funeral procession and was greeted by families, family members that I hadn't seen in forever. I made my way through the crowd, trying to find familiar faces while trying to avoid awkward small talk, and I found my abuelo in the casket. No longer the strong man I remember who would chop up a, co chop up a coconut for me or sing a beautiful song in the mornings. Instead, a man whose battle with diabetes ended up with him weakened and frail until his last moments. Before I knew it, we'd started our making our way down to the church in the town center for the funeral mass. I was reunited with my siblings, who I hadn't seen in months, that felt like decades since they had moved out of my parents' house years before. I had imagined what our reunion would be like, especially since my siblings hadn't spoken to each other since the pandemic. I imagined an awkward, cold wave at each other, or that they'd simply ignore each other. Instead, they immediately scooped me up into a group hug and told me how much they missed me. Their arguments set aside, they had become once again the siblings I grew up with. Argumentative, of course, but nevertheless, loving towards me and each other. I looked around the crowd, and I noticed that the same pattern was happening with other people. Tias and tios who bickered with each other constantly held each other, and the fights over terrenos and political issues had been forgotten. After the service, on the way to the burial, I heard people exchanging stories about the kind of man my abuelo was, a man who put others before himself, who would protect his family at all costs, and a good friend to all. And of course, everyone remembered his beautiful singing voice. Everyone seemed to remember being woken up by Don Miguel's songs, usually love songs dedicated to my abuela. Now in his absence, we raised our voices and sung those same songs as we laid him to rest. I remember a quote from the show, One Day at a Time, the Netflix reboot, not the original. Penelope and her cousin, Estrella, reunited once again after a childhood dispute, are practicing their childhood dance at their tia's funeral. Estrella turns to Penelope and asks, is it weird that we're dancing at a funeral? To which Penelope responds, it's a Latino funeral. I'd be worried if we weren't dancing. Now, I don't know about the Latina community in general. That's a lot of cultural differences between countries. But I know for sure Penelope's statement rang true for my family. I mean, my abuelo loved to sing. It'd be weird if while celebrating the life he lived, we were not singing as well. <laughs> 